A quick look at our society, and one would think we are experiencing a cultural red tide, a toxic and deadly spiral downward. So how do we as the church respond? What is our call in these disconcerting days? Hmm? From Grace Community Church here in Redwood City, hello and welcome. This is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. We would invite you to join us as we continue our mini-series looking at the biblical response that you and I are to have to the recent turn of events socially and culturally. Homosexuality is now on an equal playing field as heterosexuality, at least in our country, and specifically when it comes to marriage. So how do we as a church respond? What is the biblical response? Join us and find out. Here's Pastor Steve Converse with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Well, today I want to talk a little bit about the sanctity of marriage, taking a stand for marriage. Mike Huckabee, Governor Mike Huckabee said this, the Supreme Court can no more repeal the laws of nature and nature's God uh, on marriage than it can the law of gravity. And that's true. Uh, What are the laws of nature and what are the laws of the Lord? And so I have an outline there. The first one is basically a divine pattern. And we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, that God has given us a divine pattern for marriage. Uh, They can define it all they want. God has already spoken on this. He said, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female he created them now we all know that god is neither male nor female yet we are created in his image we're created in his image in spite of the fact that we as individuals are made in the image of god the full image is expressed with two halves of humanity complementing one another male and female so A man, an individual, a man by himself, is not fully representative of the image of God. At the same time, the woman by herself cannot do justice to the full spectrum of the image of God either because God created them male and female. And so the two complementary halves of humanity are united in what we call marriage. They're united physically, they're united emotionally, they're united spiritually. And the image of God is revealed. As a result of that, when you stop and think about it, male and females are anatomically, emotionally, spiritually geared for oneness. Husband and wife joined together represent the full spectrum of the image of God, as we see throughout Scripture. Thank God for the difference between men and women. You know, rather than hassle about the differences between you and your spouse, celebrate them. Realize that God has taken two individual, diverse people, maybe worlds apart emotionally and the way they do things, and put them together and said, now, through my spirit, I'm calling you to be one. can't do that on your own. Genesis 2.24 further declares, God says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. When you come to the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament, you see clearly that he upheld this divine pattern. 
quoting Genesis, Jesus asked Pharisees in Matthew 19, have you not read that from the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh that they're no longer one but two. Therefore what God has joined together let no man separate. That was Jesus Christ telling us that he affirms marriage, the divine pattern, the way God created us. In Ephesians 5, Paul even takes that illustration further and he speaks of marriage between a man and a woman as a symbol of this union we have with Christ and the church. And it's going to be fulfilled one day after the second coming of Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19. You can read about that there. So there's something about a man and a woman and marriage that reflects the fullness of the image of God. And it's a unique relationship between It represents that unique relationship between Christ and his church. So in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, it means one man, one woman in marriage, in the covenant of marriage, for life. That's his divine pattern. That's what we're given. But marriage is more than just a simple physical illustration of spiritual truths. It's practical. Marriage is practical. When a marriage follows God's design, as the Bible outlines it, it's good for everyone. It's good for men, it's good for women, it's good for children, it's good for the community, it's good for the country, it's good for the world. There's a lot of statistics that support this. People who are married more than a th- are a third more likely to take pride in their work. These are all statistics somebody came up with st- through studies. Nearly a third more likely to rate their health experience as excellent or very good. And you can go on and on and on with the statistics, and that's not what my goal is here this morning. But you have to understand that after thousands and thousands of studies that have been concluded, the studies show clearly that even children do best when they're raised by a mother and a father. The biblical template, the biblical design. God's way works. I mean, think about it. Every civilization in history is built upon the institution of marriage. It's the foundation. And so we have to be reminded of that. When someone comes and assaults that institute of marriage, we don't just lay back and say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. That's the way of the world. When this God-given pattern is undermined, it's attacked, and the whole superstructure of society becomes unstable as a result of it, I mean, you have to understand, any deviation from the divine pattern invites disaster. And that's exactly what, unfortunately, the Supreme Court has done in their ruling, invite disaster, because we have a divine pattern. Secondly, we see the deceptive perversion. The deceptive perversion. There's this deceptive perversion of the divine pattern. And that's what sin is. Sin is Satan taking whatever God creates and perverting it to some degree. It doesn't matter whether it's music or, or whatever. Any and all sexual sin outside of the covenant of marriage is a deceptive perversion of the divine pattern. But obviously today, here, we're talking about one particular sin, homosexual behavior. But the Word of God doesn't err. It's abundantly clear. It tells us in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, You are not to sleep with a man as with a woman. It is detestable. Leviticus 20, verse 13 says, If a man sleeps with a man as with a woman, they both have committed an abomination. It's an abomination to the Lord. God doesn't stutter. He doesn't have a gray area here. He doesn't say, well, if you love each other, it's okay. No. 
It's no more okay than if you love a woman across the street you're not married to and have relations with her. That's wrong as well. So why is this behavior a sin? Why is any behavior that's outside of God's divine plan, his template, why is it considered a sin? And I'll tell you just simply, it's because it's openly rebellious against what he says. Sin is open rebellion against the divine plan, against the divine pattern. It's against what God created, how the order is to be. He's the one who made us in his image, and he made us male and female. And you say, well, that's all the Old Testament. You know, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. And technically, that's true. He didn't, specifically. But he did affirm the original design for marriage, as we just read. He did say that he didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets, that he came to fulfill them. And he said they'll never depart until everything is accomplished. And so some people say, well, Christians don't restrict their diets like all these Old Testament laws tell us to do. Why do we have to restrict our sexuality the way God restricts us from the Old Testament? And that's true. Most of us don't eat kosher diets. Why? Because Christ died on the cross, and when he died on the cross, he rendered obsolete the dietary, the ceremonial, the sacrificial laws. That's what Hebrews 8.13 says. That's why this communion table is so important. But the principles of morality are still in force. We may not have to follow all the dietary, ceremonial, or sacrificial laws because Christ took care of those at the cross. But the principles of moral law are still in place. They don't depart. And the moral law says that this practice is an abomination. And Jesus basically fulfills that. and says, you know what, I didn't come to change that. He affirmed the divine pattern of marriage in Matthew 19 and Mark 10. And he quoted from Genesis 1, as, we just, as I just quoted for you. So he affirms that. That's, that's important to understand. And you have to understand, people say, well, he doesn't mention it by name. Well, he doesn't say that kidnapping a little child is a sin either, but it is. Okay, I mean, you know, you, you, that's not the purpose of the New Testament. It's not to give us a bunch of list of things we don't do. It gives us the morality of behavior. So he didn't itemize sin and say, okay, if it's on this list, you can't do it. But if it's not on the list, have at it. No, that's not, that's not the way it works. As a matter of fact, when you get into the letters of Paul, Romans and 1 Corinthians and Timothy and Peter, and even Peter, and, and uh, as he writes in, in Jude as well, homosexual behavior is, is a dis, deceptive perversion. It's, and it's, just, it's in a list of sins always. But I want to say this, it's not the unforgivable sin. Okay, I think as Christians, sometimes we, we take that out and we, we set it aside like it's some kind of special sin. Um, yeah, they have an agenda, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But it's no, no worse than adultery. It's an abomination just like any other sin is. If a person struggles with sinful behavior, and they will repent from that sinful re- behavior, they'll change, and they confess it, and they turn from that sinful behavior. I don't care what the sin is, that person, the Bible says, that person can be forgiven. I mean, that's what the cross is all about. That's why Jesus came to die. That's really what the heart of God is telling us in his word, that he loves everybody, including those who are struggling even with this sin. But you have to let him forgive you. You have to let him heal you. You have to let him set you free. You remember what Jesus told the woman caught in adultery. He says, neither do I condemn you, but go and what? Sin no more. He says the same 
to the person caught up in the LGBT behavior movement. But there's a work at hand here, and it's subverting the plan of God. And that brings us to the third point here, the definitive problem. There's a, there's a problem with this. And if you've ever witnessed or reached out to someone who is of that persuasion, inevitably they say, well, we're born this way. How can we help it? It's in our genes. God made us gay or God made us lesbian, whatever they might say. And they cite that they have evidence to prove that the gay gene exists in someone's DNA. And, you know, I've talked to Dr. Dan, who used to come to our church, and other people, and they say that has been so blown out of the water, that whole myth of some people having a gay gene and some people not. It's just not credible science, and it's been thoroughly disproven. And yet, unfortunately, it seems like the more you say something, even if it's a lie, people begin to believe it. It's kind of like global warming. If you just keep on repeating global warming over, all just going to, you know, the oceans are going to overrun. All this stuff, you keep on repeating it, what happens? People begin to believe it. They don't have the common sense to step back and say, well, maybe this is just cyclical. Yeah, the, the earth is getting warmer, but I doubt humans have anything to do with it. So we have to stop and we have to kind of put things in perspective. And we have to believe biblically that God never made anyone homosexual. The Bible declares the problem, the same problem, is our problem. It says in Romans 3.23, for all have what? Sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53 says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. See, every one of us has that sin issue that twists and it perverts God's original design. Any one of us, except by the grace of God, there go I. Maybe it's not homosexuality. Maybe it's another sin you're dealing with. But our sinful nature is the root of all manner of evil. But with God's help, the Bible says that we can choose not to give into those sinful desires and tendencies. And there's many scientists that would back up with real science that there's no such thing as a gay gene. There's no such thing as someone being born homosexual. If that's true, then think about all the people who have left that lifestyle and live in a God-honoring relationship. I mean, I don't think God would place in someone's genetic code something that would damn their immortal soul. He wouldn't do that. It's sin. Well, the fourth thing here is not only is it a definitive problem, but it's also a destructive program. It's a destructive program. This whole group of people that identify as LGBT, you know, the whole segment of that society, you know, they only represent about 3% of our population. But they've become so vocal, they've become so well-organized, they've become so well-funded and highly motivated that they've been able to use politics and the courts and the media, the political system, the entertaining world, even our schools, to mainstream their lifestyle choices. And they've been extremely, extremely successful in advancing their agenda. And you say, well, what are the goals of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender movement? They include basically universal acceptance of the LGBT lifestyle. You can check that off. That's done. It includes, as far as their goals, gaining special privileges and rights in the laws. Check that one off the list. It even includes securing the legal benefits of marriage and parenting for any two people on the, of the same gender. Well, now you can check that off the list. It includes sensitivity training for our children throughout the public education system. You might not be able to totally check that off, but it's definitely a work in process. I mean, when you have states passing laws that someone who is a male who thinks they might be a female is able to go into 
a female's restroom on a school. I mean, we got problems. I mean, that's, it's just it's ridiculous. And then also they want to silence critics in the church and in the Christian media. And they haven't been able to do that, but that's definitely something they're working on. And so now you have the Supreme Court who has imposed this same-sex marriage on all 50 states, and LGBT behavior is now a civil right. <laughs> and it will result in basic sexual tyranny that will trump our religious liberty. It's already happening with businesses. We've all watched the news. We've also heard different things. There was one photographer who was asked by a lesbian couple to photograph their commitment ceremony. She declined based on her biblical beliefs. She was fined $6,500. New Mexico Supreme Court ruled that this lady must provide the service to the same-sex couples and sacrifice her biblical beliefs and the price of doing business. That's not right. Aaron and Melissa uh, Klein owned Sweet Cakes Bakery in, in Gershom, Oregon. They too were approached by a woman who wanted a wedding cake made for her marriage to another woman. Aaron politely declined based on her beliefs, even offering to recommend some other bakeries who would do it. But they were subject to protest and such hateful speech by the LGBT community that they were forced to close. And then the state of Oregon handed down a $135,000 fine. Or another lady who was the owner of Arlell's Flowers. She was a Southern Baptist. She actually said she serves gay customers that come into her store. Rob Ingersoll, whom she had been serving for years, approached her about doing flowers for his upcoming wedding to another man. She refused based on her love for Jesus and obedience to his word. He's seeking damages that could take her business and her home upwards of $300,000. Despite that, here's what she said. If Rob walked into our store today, I would hug him, catch up on his life, The same faith that tells me that I can't be part of Rob's wedding is the same faith that tells me to love him as Christ does. Never forget what that woman just said. We are called to love them as Christ does. That's the example we should follow. See, we we need to make sure that we're fighting the agenda, but we're loving the sinner. (laughs) We're hating the sin, but we're loving the sinner. Jack Phillips own masterpiece cakes in Lakewood, Colorado. He was ordered by the state to make wedding cakes for gay couples and guaranteed that its staff undergo sensitivity training and for the next two years. And if he didn't, he could face fines and upward to a year in jail each time he refused to participate in a same-sex ceremony. Phillips will also be required to submit quarterly reports to the commission to confirm that he is complying with their edict. <laughs> you all heard about the people in Indiana with the pizza restaurant. Okay, they wouldn't supply the, the food. And it was, it was a hypothetical question. It wasn't even a real question. They said, what if, what if this happened? What if someone came in and told you to make pizza for their same-sex marriage? What would you do? And they said, well, we couldn't do it. And based on their hypothetical answer, the owner and his daughter were just overrun by protesters, by this movement. The threats that were left were so vicious on their voicemail, on their email, everything from burning down the pizza parlor to killing its owners that eventually they had to close the store and they went into hiding. Thankfully, the Christian community there stepped up and they raised $800,000 for them and they just reopened. So it's just, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. And you can go on and on and on with these examples. But don't ever think that they don't have an agenda. It has an agenda in our business. It has agenda in our education. Several years ago, the conservative news magazine National Review laid out the litany of examples of homosexual indoctrination in the Massachusetts public school, state where same-sex marriage is legal. In one elementary school, a, a transsexual was invited into the first grade. 
class to give details of his operation. In another elementary school, children were assigned to play gays in the school skit. Two girls were told to hold hands and pretend to be lesbians. One boy's line was, it's natural to be attracted to the same sex. One ninth grade high school health textbook teaches testing your ability to function sexually and give pleasure to another person may be less threatening in the early teens with people of your own sex. You may come to the conclusion that growing up means rejecting the values of your parents. In Lexicon, Massachusetts, the school treated their second graders to a book entitled King and King, which is a colorful uh, 29-page children's book where the prince searches for a wife only in the end to choose another prince. The story ends with the two princes marrying and living happily ever after. On the last page, the princes, now kings, even share a kiss. This was read to seven-year-olds. David and Tanya Parker's five-year-old son was subject to this kind of nonsense at his elementary school in Lexington, the very birthplace of the War of Independence, for independence. He brought home some pro-homosexual literature in his book bag, and when David visited the principal, he was told that same-sex marriage is the law, so there is no need for advance notice or for parental consent. When David, the father, objected, wanting to have his son opt out of the immoral indoctrinization and refusing to leave until he got an agreement, the police were called, arrested David, and threw him in jail. I mean, like I said, you can go on and on and on. Writing in the leading homosexual magazine, The Advocate, lesbian author Patricia Neal Warren, Neil Warren says this, It is the first fact of civilization. Whoever captures the kids owns the future. She's absolutely right. So guard your children's hearts. It's not just businesses. It's not just schools, education, but it's also churches, which is the last bastion of freedom. But eventually they will seek to invade churches. They already have to some degree. Disrupt surfaces, take over uh, pulpits, unfurl banners. They'll do all those kind of things because they're committed to their cause. As in Genesis 19, they're banging on the door of the church. You heard a couple weeks ago where the openly lesbian mayor of Houston demanded that all the pastors turn in texts of their sermons to be screened for hate speech. I mean, I don't know about you, but my response is I will surrender to some kind of demand like that when hell freezes over, and then I'll skate on the ice. I mean, I'm not going to do it. It's just not going to happen. And, and I think you have to be able to stand up at some point and say, no, there is truth. God has given us the truth. And we're not going to buy into this lie. And we're going to protect our own marriages. We're going to protect our own children. We're going to protect our own families and our own churches. And, and, and we need to make sure that we prepare ourselves for what's coming down the pike. Because it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be pleasant. It's not going to be a celebration. I mean, they basically are commanding us to conform our thinking to their sexual orthodoxy. And if you don't do it, you're going to have to pay somehow. And we just have to be reminded that, you know what, we don't answer to them. We don't answer even to the government. We answer to God. We answer to Christ. We need to be reminded of that. So we need to have a determined plan. And the determined plan is rather simple. So here are some basic action steps that you can take. First of all, pray. You need to be praying that God would continue to have grace and mercy on this country. Because, I mean, right now we're kind of under his hand of, of judgment. Secondly, we need to practice. We need to practice the biblical principles for a healthy marriage as a positive witness. 
You know, the problem with this whole thing is so many people say, well, look at all the, the marriages that are heterosexual. They're a mess. And unfortunately, a lot of them are right. So we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can as believers with our spouse to make sure that our marriage is, is somewhat representative of the love of Christ. That we try hard to die to ourselves daily, to get along with each other, to support each other. Christian marriages ought to be models representative of God's standard. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.